Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? This is one of the most beautiful rhetorical questions you'll ever read. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. We're studying Psalm 42 this morning, and let me read this and then I'll pray briefly and then we'll start. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Will they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of that enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We pray to you, our salvation and our God. Lord, we are giants in sin and babes in Christ, and yet, Lord, we have been given the blessing of coming towards you boldly. And we'll gladly, Lord, Take that opportunity. Lord, so we bring to you our our pain and our hurt this morning. Father, for you are our healer. We bring to you our our words and our complaints this morning. For Father, you are a comforter and our listener. And Lord, we bring our friends, our spouses, our families this morning. For Lord, you are our heavenly Father. So Lord, we pray that we are encouraged, that there is a resounding hope in our hearts from the word this morning. And Father, I pray that you would use this sermon for your glory. Use us all for your glory. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mm. This psalm is about two things, and so this sermon is about two things. Depression and Christmas. A lot of you are understandably probably confused why those two things are married, and many of you That's instinct. Depression and Christmas go hand in hand. Statistically, and I don't remember the number, this is the highest time of suicide for the whole year. Right around Christmas. Why are these two things married? There are generally two kinds of people around Christmas, actually. There are those who January to November could be horrible. 
dreadful. But December, you watch Elf, you eat cookies, everything is perfect. And then the other kind, the realists look at December and they say, why is everybody so chipper just for this month? And it can be hard. I had a student ask me, why is it so hard to be around Christmas? Because she said, the hardest thing is to pretend that I'm joyful because it's Christmas when I'm not. The reality though, for both of these people is that January always comes around. January 1st will be here next year. It's coming. So whether you'll be validated in your sadness as a realist or disappointed in your joy as a Christmas lover, January 1st is on its way. Now I don't want to be a complete bummer because this is a psalm of comfort. So the question comes when we're looking at the psalm this way, when we're looking at Christmas this way and life this way, how do I escape? How do we have joy that's real and lasting, that doesn't depend on the time of the year, the circumstances, the color of the lights and the flavors of the food? How do we have joy that's real and lasting and enduring? This psalm answers that question. Now, on first glance, it might seem... (laughs) Like it brings you down, but this is, I promise you, one of the most comforting psalms there is. So, the first thing you need to know, let's go broad to small. This is a psalm, which means it's in this big book called Psalms, and it's Hebrew poetry. And there's a few things you need to know about Hebrew poetry. Structure is really important, vitally important to it. So I'm going to point out three things about the structure of this psalm. If you have a Bible, it really helps to look at the way it's written on the ESV. They they wrote it out according to the Hebrew. The first thing you need to see is that because many of the psalms in the book of Psalms are songs, we can look for how things are written as songs. And this one is exactly like that. If you were to read it in your Bible, you can see that verses 1 to 4 And this is confusing because I have to use the word verse in two ways. Verses one to four are a verse. Verse five is a chorus. Verses six to 10, that's another verse. And then you have a chorus. Verses five and verses 11 are identical, completely identical. So just like the songs we sung this morning, you sing a verse and you sing a chorus that repeats itself and you sing another verse and then you sing the chorus again. That's the first thing you need to notice. This is a song. And it sings like our songs. The second thing, not only is this a song, this is a special type of song. It's call and response. So the first verse you can see calls out. And then the first chorus in verse five responds to it. And then the same thing happens again. There's a call out in verses six to 10. And then the next chorus responds to it. The final thing you need to see about this is it's a song It's call and response, but the call and response is emotional, not just in structure. Look here. How many of you are overthinkers or would call yourself an overthinker? You can raise your hand if you're an overthinker. Don't think about it too much. Um, (laughs) If you're an overthinker, you're familiar with something called intrusive thoughts. We're just as as, as you are about to lie down and go to bed. You'll think, wait, did they take that the wrong way? I'm not sure. Did I miss this? Did I leave the stove on? Are my keys in my car? And then it's 2 a.m. Intrusive thoughts, things that get you in the middle of the night. And sometimes those are very dark things. You can look at these verses and see similarities. You know his mood. These are thoughts where he remembers things people said about him. 
These are thoughts that remember the good times when things were great, that praise out to God. So the verses are this call of anguish and intrusive thoughts and depression. And the choruses, those parts that repeat themselves, they're a moment of clarity. And we'll see this more clearly as we study the psalm more, but have these things in your head about the psalm. It's a call and response. The call is anguish and the response is clarity. The call is anguish, the response is clarity. Okay. One more note about the psalm in general. It's 99.9% of people will say that this is written by David. Probably was. If you read a commentary on Psalm 42, they'll talk about it as if it was David. It's fairly accurate, but we don't know for sure. We don't know for absolute sure. But there's a a distinctive quality about David's Psalms and the rest of the Psalms that if you can read the Psalm, you can read the Psalmist. If you look at the Psalms in this way, if you can read the Psalm, you can read the Psalmist. This is an honest cry of someone's heart. And so we're going to study this in a very simple way. We're going to look at the problem of the Psalmist and what the solution is. The problem of the Psalmist and the solution. Those are the two parts. We're going to study the text in problem solution. Depression, Christmas. Anguish, clarity. Verse, chorus. You're starting to catch on. Those two things are perfectly in line. The problem, we find this in the verses here. You can see that in verses one to four and six to 10. The problem primarily is that this man is somebody who's fallen from a very high place. He's fallen from a very high place. Not physically, but socially. Listen to what he talks about when he's talking about his life. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. So this was a leader of worship. This is somebody who would take the people with him to the house of God, this holy place. And not only was it the house of God, he says, I remember you from Jordan from Hermon, from Mount Mizar, all of these places in the promised land. I remember how I would lead God's people in worship and joy and praise in the land where you told us we will have bountiful harvest and blessing. But if you look here, those are just memories. If you're looking at maybe this is David, you could see this is a time where he's running from Saul or perhaps his son, both of whom are trying to kill him. This is not a high point in their life. This is someone who's fallen from a very high place, who had very high stature. But more than that, the way that the psalmist frames their problem is not just things used to be good and now they're bad. But the phrase keeps coming up that the opponents bring up, where is your God? You could look at the beginning of the psalm As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You could look towards the end of the psalm. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And if you know your Bible well, you could see that there's similarities to Jonah. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and waves have gone over me. That's what Jonah says in the belly of the fish. 
This is a man who's fallen from a very high place. But his biggest problem above all things, he repeats it twice. Where is your God? And you have to think, if you're asked, where is your God often enough, maybe you'll start to ask yourself, God, where are you? It's the question that San Francisco is taunting the Christian world with every single day. Where is your God? I'm living how I want to live. Where is your God that you say saved me, that calls me out of sin? Where is he? Where is your God? And at some point, if you've been discouraged with the world and the way it taunts us with that question, where is your God? I'm with you in the fact that I've asked, well, God, where are you? God, where are you? What are you doing? This man's problem is that he's fallen from a very high place. But the biggest concern in his heart is the presence of God. God, where are you? Why have you forgotten me? That's the part of the psalm that's about depression. And if you've been in the throes of that, the throes of anguish and hurt before, you know that. That's the pressing question in our minds. God, you promised comfort, but I'm in pain. Where are you? But the psalm isn't just about depression. It's also about Christmas. And here's how those things go hand in hand. We're get, it's going to make sense. We're getting to it. We're narrowing in. Cutting through that dense cloud of anguish and confusion is those choruses which bring clarity, an almost humorous clarity. Let me read that chorus again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He opens with the question, This is one of the most beautiful rhetorical questions you'll ever read because it's rhetorical. The first thing he does after saying, this is what's wrong with my life is why are you sad? (laughs) The first thing he does after he expresses all about how his life is in ruin is why, why is that casting you down though? He frames his sadness, his depression as inappropriate to his conditions, which from all outward indications, are completely, it's a completely appropriate mood. But that's not how he questions his own heart. He says, why are you cast down? Why is this breaking you? Why are you in turmoil (laughs) over this? And he gives the reason in the form of a command, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. This is where it pays to pay attention to the details. Again, this is something that's happened before. He will praise him again. And we talked about this. Where did he praise God before? In God's house in the promised land where God's presence is. So the thing that he feels he's been lacking this whole time, where is your God? I'm cast out. You've forgotten me. He says, I'm coming back because you're bringing me back. So the hope of my soul that makes depression and sadness inappropriate is that I will be with God. And he makes it even more clear. My salvation and my God. There's two ways salvation is written in Hebrew. One of them is just the word salvation. The other one is helping face. You'll see it in the Bible as present help. This is helping face. This is a helping presence. The theme of presence of God being there is even more brought out. 
my helping face, my God. So this psalm is about Christmas. Because if you were to turn to Isaiah 9, very famous passage, you could read this, and it's a little bit long. Isaiah 9, 2. You don't have to turn there. You feel free to listen. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And listen to this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The hope of the psalmist is the arrival of God, is the presence of God. And you can look at what happens when God's presence arrives. John 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. So what the psalmist waited for all of this time was that baby boy in a manger. You have to see this. The only condition he places upon his joy and contentment and happiness in his life is God's presence. And he would have rejoiced greatly in tears to be able to see our day. Because if you turn to Hebrews 13.5, you'll see exactly what God's presence is now. I'll read this for us. It's short. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, those words were first written to Joshua with two negatives, never leave you nor forsake you. Right there in Hebrews, there are five, not two. So if you were to really translate that, it's I will never, ever, 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 ever leave you. That's God's promise to you now. My presence will never, ever, 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 ever leave you because Jesus's name is Emmanuel, God with us. So how can we sit in sadness now. We ask ourselves, people who are blessed like this, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Because let's address the reality is that there's still pain. There's still sadness. We still face difficulty. We still have brutal struggles with being content with our portion in life, with the events, with the things that have been done to us with the things we've done. It's hard. And it can be confusing. If the psalmist, his only condition for being content and happy in life was the arrival of God in his presence, and we have that in its fullness, how are we cast down and why is our soul in turmoil within us? The psalm needs us to see this. We need to see this from God's word. The only hope for the truly afflicted is the presence of God. And we have it in fullness. I'll say it again. The only hope for the truly afflicted is the presence of God. And we have it in fullness. But here's the problem. And we, as we've been exegeting God's word, we need to exegete our hearts before it. We have to have God's word read us and let it study us. So here's the question. In our pain... 
Have we been asking for God's presence to come and be with us? Or have we been asking that God would send a substitute? Have we been asking that God would come and be with us or that God would send a substitute? Have I been praying God be with me? Or have I been praying God send me abundance? Send me popularity? Send me success? Send me gifts? Or how dare we send me Christmas joy? Send me lights and candy, but you stay away. Don't you see it's the biggest disparity of Christmas in America is that rather than enjoying the presence of God, we're enjoying the things that God gives. And we wonder why we're so discontent. So you have to ask your own heart and you have to lay yourself bare before the Lord. Have I been asking God for your presence or have I been praying that you would send a substitute? Because the person who really rejoices in the presence of the Lord is rich in joy. Now, there's one book I can commend to you. It's by a Puritan named Jeremiah Burroughs. It's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The only reason I read it is because I never expected a Puritan to title a book The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It's a good book. It's a bit of a slog, but if you can manage your way through it, it's hugely edifying. It's, it's great, and it's, I think it's a dollar on Amazon. I'll read this short section to you. Name any affliction that is upon you. There is a sea of mercy to swallow it up. If you pour a pail full of water on the floor of your house, it makes a great show, but if you throw it into the sea, there is no sign of it. So afflictions consider them in themselves, we think are very great, but let them be considered with the sea of God's mercies we enjoy. And then they are not so much, they are nothing in comparison. I commend God's comforting presence to you this morning. That is what I commend to you because the only hope of the truly afflicted is the presence of God. That's what his word says. This is a mysterious and supernatural reality that our hearts will be truly comforted when God shows up and he did. He's risen and he's with you today and he will never, ever, 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 ever leave you. If you're confident that you don't have this presence with you, I, 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 I would encourage you to pray. God is free to give this. He's offered it to all and he's offered it joyfully. He's more ready to give it to you than you've ever been to receive it. There's a great blessing in Christmas for that. And if you're somebody who has felt this, but felt a lack of it lately, return. He is still eager to give you his presence to be with you. And if you know this joy, continue in rejoicing that God is with you and he will never, ever, 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 ever leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the fact that your presence is with us. We rejoice in the fact that you have sent the comfort to the afflicted. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. We rejoice that you are with us and will never leave us. But help us, Father, to set our hearts on that, that you might be our contentment. Rid us of false contentment, perpetual giddiness and, and childishness. Lord, rid us of, of pessimism and cynicism that looks to other things for contentment that isn't you. But Father, let us as, as people be ever ready 
to pray for your presence, ever expecting it, ever relying on it. Let us be people who are put at peace by your presence. Let us ask confidently of our own hearts, why are we cast down? Why why are our souls in turmoil within us? Lord, grant us the grace to hope in you and again praise you, for you are our very present help and our God. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyteriansf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.